Seahawks 360 podcast, a sports ethos production, where we view the Seahawks at every angle, every week. I am your host, Candace Hagens. You can follow me on Twitter at CandaceH901, that's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-H-901. And as always, it is a pleasure and a privilege to talk Hawks with you. We got a lot to get into. It's the draft time. So let's get into it. Your Seattle Seahawks have officially drafted their class of 2022. And for the first time, there are no pitchforks and knives ready amongst the Seahawks fandom. In fact, most Seahawks fans consider this one of the best drafts that they've seen in decades. The original class that drafted Russell Wilson, 2012 class, it is debatable on whether that or not that was a better class. For many at the time, the fan base was still very angry and confused by a lot of the moves. At the time, you didn't really know that the, the players, Bruce Irvin, Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, would be who ultimately they came to be. But for this draft, there was a general consensus that the Seahawks made the right moves for their team, and they seemed to have a plan moving forward. But some things never changed. There were several national pundits who still felt like this draft was a C, I think mostly around the fact that this team did not draft a quarterback. The Seahawks chose not to draft a quarterback in this class, despite the trading of Russell Wilson. And right now their competition for the quarterback position being pretty much Drew Locke and Geno Smith. The Seahawks decided to stick with those two. And that drew the ire of some national media and, and, and even some, some Seahawks fans are upset and or confused by that. But despite that, the general consensus is that this was a positive draft, one of the best drafts. I myself consider this the best draft that the Seahawks have had under the Pete Carroll and John Snyder era. And so we'll get into it. I'll give you guys my grades. We'll go through prospect by prospect, and I'll give you my grades on each prospect. We'll talk a little bit about each one, do a little bit of a deep dive on each candidate. And then we'll get into a little bit of why I feel that the Seahawks made the best decision in regards to the quarterback position. We'll talk about that a little bit more, but a lot to get into. Here we go. With the number nine, first overall pick of the Seattle Seahawks, they chose Charles Cross, who is a left tackle at Ole Miss. Oh, oh, sorry. My mistake. Not Ole Miss. Left tackle out of Mississippi State. Sorry about that. Uh, Charles Cross is a 6'5", 307-pound uh, left tackle. He played left tackle primarily uh, in his time in Mississippi State. What was great about this pick was a couple of things. So historically, under the Pete Carroll and John Snyder era, the few with the few O-linemen that have been taken, those O-linemen have had an emphasis on run blocking. They were the mauling type of offensive linemen. And for the first time, especially this early in the draft, the Seahawks chose somebody for once who was an expert in pass blocking. Charles Cross was one of the best pass blockers in this draft class. In fact, he only allowed pressure 
on just 0.7 of his pass blocking snaps, which means he only allowed in 2021 six pressures and one sack in 683 snaps. That's pretty incredible, if you ask me. And he didn't do this in against you know lowly competition. In fact, he played some of his best games against the best competition that the college football had to offer. For example, in his games against Alabama, he did not allow a single pressure in his 64 snaps. That type of elite pass protection is something that the Seahawks have desperately needed for years. And it is pretty ironic, at least in my opinion, that it was after Russell Wilson decided <laughs> was traded that they decided to now build up the offensive line, which was something that he complained about um, vocally in the, in, in the public eye, especially uh, last offseason. But, hey, they are making the decision now. It, this is an important move because tackle was a much-needed position of need. Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell are unsigned to the point of this recording. And the tackle that they had on roster, Jake Curhan was an undrafted uh, free agent. Stone Forsyth was a late-round pick who was considered a project at the time. And while these guys have potential, they're all in the second – they're both in their second years. And so there really isn't that elite pedigree of pass protection that will be needed no matter who the quarterback is. And so I think this was a great move. Uh, I grade this draft pick at A plus because of the needs of tackle, because it was the right thing to do. And because for any of you who are upset that we didn't graph, draft another position at the time or, another, or, or take care of another need. I want to remind you that the drop-off from here for the tackle position was pretty, it was a pretty big drop-off from this point. This was one of the best pass-blocking left tackles that you were going to be able to get at this position. Uh, from this point on, there were this was not a particularly deep class for elite pass protection. And so to take care of a premium position, um, this could be your your left tackle of the future for years to come. And since he's a first rounder, you get the opportunity to get him on a fifth year uh, deal. You can extend him an extra year to keep him. And so a plus with pick number nine. So on to the second round in the second round with the 40th pick of the draft, the Seattle Seahawks selected Boye Mafe outside linebacker from Minnesota. I, I grade, I like this pick a lot. Some this this pick was particularly controversial, mostly because of Mafe's age. Boye Mafe is 23 years old currently, and he will turn pretty early in the season, 24 years old. And so he's kind of an older prospect to becoming, you know, even in the second round of the draft. A lot of people don't like that. But just something to keep in mind for those who are upset about his age is Boya Mafe has not been paying, playing the sport that long. He's not one of these guys like your typical um, players in the draft who've been playing, you know, since little league and high school, uh, he really just kind of fell into the sport. And so he doesn't have a lot of years on his belt. He's still very inexperienced in, in a lot of ways. And so he's still got some growing room. So while physically age wise, he is older. I think he might have a higher ceiling than your typical older prospect. He's not, he's a lot less molded. And I think in some ways it actually puts the Seahawks at an advantage to really take a player 
who doesn't have quote unquote, his own way he's learned of doing things and to really mold him into the player that they want him to be. He's a great, actually, he's an excellent athlete. He ran a, a 4.53 speed in his two years in Minnesota. He had a 15.5 tackles for a loss and 11.5 sacks. This guy is really explosive. Um, a lot of, a lot of high ceiling for him. I, I have to, I, while I, understand his ceiling and, and his knock that you know he is older I and it, it, I understand that he hasn't played a ton I still have to knock it a little bit just because I thought there were other positions um, of need that maybe could have been addressed uh, at that time so I'm going to give this a B plus I still like the pick I'm not down on the pick in any way I, I can't quite give it an A because he is an older prospect and you know the the, the history with Pete Carroll and, and, and John Snyder with their older prospects and had been going too well in, in particular. Uh, so we'll see. I think he's still got a ton of upside. I'm excited to see him play. Just couldn't quite give this one an A. I thought the B plus was the closest I could get it just because there is that knock right there, but I'm very pleased with the pick. It makes a lot of sense uh, there. You do have Daryl Taylor there. You also have Nuozu. So while this was, I think it was a good idea for them to go ahead and take an edge rusher, particularly in a, in a pretty strong class of edge, edge rushers. I don't think it was as urgent a need as other positions. And so, you know, I'm glad that we've got extra depth that the team has invested in their defense. Defense will be so important given that they will no longer have Russell Wilson, but all in all, because I think it's a good decision, but B plus for me. All right, so with the very next pick, the Seahawks had back-to-back picks in the second round. So with pick number 41, the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks selected Kenneth Walker III. Kenneth Walker III, a running back out of Michigan State. For those of you who are not familiar with Kenneth Walker Jr., he is 5'9", 211 pounds. He sort of has a really great combination of both power and speed. Ran a 4'3", in his scouting on, on his uh scouting combine. So very fast. And one of my favorite things about him is that he led the nation in broken tackles. Bottom line, this guy is just explosive. He's just explosive. He's hard, he's hard to tackle, he's hard to stop. I think he'll he's he's exactly what you need in terms of moving the chains. And I understand that this was a very controversial pick, probably. One of the most controversial aspects of this draft is people wondering if the Seahawks should have gotten a running back this early. And I understand that people question the positional value of getting a running back this early in the second round. Could you have traded down and got and, and gotten better value for a running back? Did you have to get a running back in the second round at all? People question, was that better to get him at a later position? Now I'll say this. Kenneth Walker Jr is one of the top two, if not the best, depending on who you ask, running backs in this class. And he really can be a difference maker. So I I think while normally getting a running back would be, I think, a mistake normally under normal circumstances, I think you just have to look at the big picture here. This Seahawks fan base is very weary of running backs chosen early because of Rashad Penny. And, And while we finally saw him show his worth, during the very last five games of his career, 
uh, that he was considered a bust widely up to that point. And so Seahawks fans are very sensitive to any running back being drafted earlier than they should be drafted. And I understand that. I understand that context that some of you guys may be upset about that. I completely agree with this pick this time, though. A couple of things to keep in mind. This team has struggled with running back health. They had five, five running backs go into their roster on week one. All of them active on the roster in week one and still had injury problems with them all. I mean, really, the team can't catch a break. And so, for one, you want to make sure if you're the Seahawks that you've that you've got a strong running game. And in fact, the Seahawks didn't have a strong running game just because of how inconsistent backs in and out or backs playing injured. As Collins, Alex Collins played injured for some time. Penny struggled with health. Carson struggled with health. And, and this has been a reoccurring thing for years. So you, that that's one important thing to keep in mind, that this is a, a position that for the Seahawks, they seem to have, it, it's been proven to them that they have to load up at this position. And whether you like it or not, it's, it's important to not pretend like the running game isn't important. If everybody knows you're going to pass all the time, your, your offense is just as predictable. It's important, both the run and the pass. And so... I understand it just from that standpoint alone. But if you look even more in depth, it's, it's, a little, it's about a little bit more than even just on paper. You'd like to have a good number of backs because for that, I'd agree with some of you that you could just, just, just have gotten somebody in the third or fourth round uh, for depth. But it's not that simple. Russell Wilson is no longer on this team. And for those, and Russell Wilson had his flaws, don't get me wrong, but for the flaws he had, He was also able to cover up the flaws of a lot of the other aspects on this roster. That eraser is not there anymore. This team absolutely needs a strong running game that can help move the sticks, particularly because we will have questionable quarterback play at best. Questionable at best. Don't know what to expect out of the quarterback. There won't be a lot of explosive big plays not not like we're used to not like the the fan base is used to it'll look very different and there's got to be a strong running game to keep the chains moving to keep this team on the field the team has struggled with third down conversion for years it's been two or three years now that they've been really I mean just one of their biggest weaknesses the offense has just been third down conversions for the past two years for sure and so with the with the running back like Kenneth Walker III, who can break tackles, who can move the chains, who can keep things going, who can make somebody miss just to get a first down, that's going to be so important to keeping the offense moving um, and, and even to keeping your the offense unpredictable. I think that the one-two punch of a Rashad Penny, who is a home run, home run hitter, when he gets out in open space, there's no stopping him. And a guy who sort of has the power of a Chris Carson, and but also some the some finesse to his game, like like a Rashad Penny, is the perfect balance between the two. He can put his shoulders down and 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 power through when needed because he's a big back, two hundred and eleven pounds. But also, he's got elite speed, elite speed, and the ability to to make people make make tackle. Uh, defense defenders miss 
that, that that's important. Anything explosive that can be added to a component of this offense is going to be critical. And so I understand that some people are going to be upset about this pick, and you can disagree with the provision with the positional value all day long. But understand the context. I've given you a couple of reasons to consider already, but here's the biggest one. Rashad Penny is coming off a neck, not Rashad Penny, Chris Carson is coming off a neck injury. He's been running back one for four years now, and his future is completely in question. When Pete Carroll has been asked about Chris Chris Carson, he's not been tremendously optimistic, which says a lot, which says a lot. If Pete Carroll hasn't been tremendously optimistic about something, there is reason for concern. And so there are a lot of questions about if Chris Carson will be able to return and if he can return, will he be able to stay healthy? Will that neck act up? To me, it sounds like he might be looking at potentially being forced to be to retire medically forced to retire. And as special as Rashad Penny showed himself to be in those final five games, that's what you got out of him. Five games of tremendous production. And he was on this team for four years because of his health struggles. This team absolutely needs a back that they can potentially depend on. Not to say that nothing will happen to Kenneth Jr., knock on wood. <laughs> nothing will happen to Kenneth Walker, but that that you, you need that extra presence, the back of the future. You don't know what's going to happen with Rashad Penny, and you definitely don't know what's going to happen with Chris Carson. So given the circumstances, to me, this pick is an A-. minus. Sure, There are other positions that could have been addressed other than running back on paper. But given the situation, this was one of the most, one of the highest positions of need that I think got overlooked. People didn't really think about the need at running back, but the need was definitely there. And so A minus for me. All right, moving right along on to the third round with the 72nd pick. Seattle Seahawks chose Abraham Lucas. Offensive tackle from Washington State. He played primarily right tackle. And I think this was a big move for the Seahawks. There's not really been a time where the Seahawks have had two young, good prospects at both the left tackle and right tackle positions. It really sets the Seahawks up for the future by making the decision to build in the trenches focusing on enhancing the offensive line in ways that they just had not before. This is another offensive tackle who is whose primary strength is pass protection. Another move that is different from the things that they've done in the past and very, very encouraging. Abe Lucas was considered excellent value at this point in the draft. He does have some issues with, um, with run protection, and some people do suspect he might project as a guard. But I think he'll he'll make it be able to make it with the development that the Seahawks have. I think they'll be able to make it uh, at right tackle, and you know he'll have competition. I was still very impressed with the performance of Jake Curhan when he had to step in and start. I think he did a good job. So I think those two will push each other in camp, and I think whoever wins that competition will will best serve the Seahawks line. I'm not worried about if Abe Lucas is able to beat out Jake Curhan. That's great. If he's not, I'm not going to be overly concerned about it. I think, you know, he he got him at the third round. And so still good value. You don't necessarily expect all of your third rounders to come out and be starters. Understandable. I, I suspect that he'll be able to beat out the competition, 
myself. But like I said, either way, I'm not worried about it. He is 23 years old, 6'6", 6'6", 315-pound guy. So big guy, a lot of strength to his game. He's very durable. He played all four years uh, at, at, at Washington State. He's very athletic. And I, I give overall an A+. Plus. I think he's got some things he needs to work on for sure. I think he he, he hadn't played from a three-point stand, so he'll have some adjustments to make. And that's why I, I can see a world with Jake Curhan having a little bit more experience under his belt, um, may be able to come in and take the position. But overall, I, I think that, the, that this was big for the Seattle Seahawks to invest in their offensive line this way in one of their biggest positions of need. It, it makes sense. And after years and years of the Seattle Seahawks doing what seemingly makes absolutely no sense with a lot of their draft picks, it was refreshing. I think a lot of Seahawks fans felt refreshed by this decision, especially because the the pick in the second round with Kendall Walker the third, it was controversial to say the least amongst the fan base. And so a pick like this sort of got from from what I could see, the fan base back settled down. It was a breath of fresh fresh air and gave a lot of the fan base a lot more confidence about the future of the team and the decisions that the front office will make going forward. All right, so with that, on to round four. Oh, in case I didn't mention this, if you hadn't gathered, I was impressed with the pick of Abraham Lucas, and I gave that an A+. So, good job, Hawks. Moving on to round four with pick 109, Kobe Bryant was selected out of Cincinnati, cornerback. And he played opposite of the the very popular uh, Sauce Gardner. And so he's got a lot of experience uh, playing alongside him. He got targeted often just because, you know, quarterbacks would avoid targeting Sauce Gardner. And he held his own. A lot of, lot of uh, great aspects to his game. Excellent size, 6'1", 193 pounds. You got his, his arms are a little undersized for what would be the quote-unquote prototypical uh, quarterback for Pete Carroll, 31-inch arms. But uh, he ran a he ran a five four at the five four five a four point five four at the combine, but on his pro day he ran a four four. So he he does have some some speed uh, to his game. Great value here in the fourth round. I think I gave this one an A plus. This guy's got a lot of potential. I think he can start for this team. He can definitely push uh, Trey Brown. I think I don't think he'll be able to push Sidney Jones. Sidney Jones is probably a solidified starter. But on the other side, I think it'll be a very good competition between Trey Brown, assuming that he is ready and healthy enough to compete, and Kobe Bryant. I could see either of those guys um, coming in. He's got um, a lot to his game. He had uh, nine interceptions, 35 passes defense. So he's got his hand. He can get, definitely get his hands on the ball, make a difference. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Really excited about this pick, seeing how he fits into the system, knowing that Pete Carroll is excellent with cornerbacks and, and developing them. I think he's got the tools that it takes to really be successful in this league. I like his mindset, his confidence. He is named after the legend, Kobe Bryant, and, and got his number. Uh, he got his jersey number in honor of Kobe Bryant. And so if you do that, to me, it shows you got a lot of confidence in your game and your future and who you could be. So I'm impressed by by him and excited about what he can do for the Hawks. A plus. 
All right. So before we go further, we are now approaching the fifth round picks. And from here on out, I'm not going to be as in-depth on my analysis because when you're talking about the fifth round and after, you're really talking about a lot more of developmental guys, guys who have some who still need some polishing, some things for the game. They've got either elite traits that can really be honed into and 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 uh and evolved to be uh you know either a contributor. You, you're you're more likely even looking at contributors over starters. But I do like, I mean, some of these prospects that the Seattle Seahawks selected could project potentially to be starters one day, but I'm not expecting that. I don't think anybody should be expecting that. I think these were good picks. These guys do have high upside. You're just looking at the upside and paying attention to that. So a lot less in depth. I'm just kind of going to quickly go through the fifth through the seventh round picks, just introduce you guys to them, give you my grades, and then we'll move on. All right. So in the fifth round with the 153rd pick, Tariq Woolen was selected quarterback of from texas san antonio he is actually a converted quarterback he was a wide receiver and it's interesting that he uh he talked a little bit about in his uh it is his draft interview sort of being similar to uh richard sherman and having the opportunity to learn and grow in the same system and the same under the same head coach that he did i think he's looking forward to that he's got some great upside he ran an elite four two six in his 40 Woo, that guy's fast. Elite traits this is what I mean. Elite traits, elite upside. He's a typical prototypical cornerback. He's six four. Uh, well, I said when I say prototypical, let me say prototypical Pete Carroll quarterback. He is six four, two hundred and five pounds with thirty three inch arms. So very impressive. He's got all the tools. Still needs a lot of development. Hadn't been a cornerback long, obviously. So he needs um, he needs just some some just some work, right? Some development. He's more of a project maybe in the next year or so, but he really has all the tools he needs. If he can put, if he can put, if this guy can put it all together, he can be more than a contributor for this team. He can be a star. And so that we, I think Pete Carroll is the best person for him to learn up under. I'm excited to see what he can do as well. Like I said, don't expect to see him much in this year at least, but I think he has a bright future ahead of him if he can just put all the tools that he has together. At the very least, I expect him to be a great contributor on uh, on special teams, especially with that speed. All right, and then with pick number 158, the Seahawks chose outside linebacker Tariq Smith, who is an edge rusher, um, and th- he plays in a hybrid sort of 3-4, 4-3 type of system, 254 pounds, 6-3. Um, he's got a really high motor, this guy. He was on a team, and he, he he had a lot of pressures, but he didn't have the production necessarily to back it up. So that's why he got drafted low. I think he's got the technique and the, and the tools to be able to apply pressure. He's just got a – he's not the most explosive guy. He's not the most athletic guy. So his job in finishing off a lot of those sacks is just sort of hadn't been there. But if nothing else, I think he, he can be a guy who, you know, almost like Jadavian Clowney, who's a guy who's just going to disrupt things. Even if he can never get to that point where he can get that production, if he's a guy on your team who can sort of disrupt the quarterback and, you know, cause another teammate to be able to get that sack, I'd say that impact would be there just the same. Still needs to work on a few things. Um, like I said, this is the fifth round, but he's got high upside. And so uh, another good pick, I give the, I give Tariq Willen and Tyreek Smith 
uh, A pluses, especially at this point. Great value with elite traits. Potential to be even more than a contributor at this point in the draft is absolutely awesome. The Seahawks did not have a six round pick, so they moved on to the seventh round and they got Bo Melton and D- Derek Young. And so those are two wide receivers. They doubled up on that position. I understand why they doubled it up on that position. And the fact to me that they waited to the seventh round to even address that position says that they feel confident that they can extend DK. They also feel confident in uh, in D. Eskridge. And so I think wide receiver depth was something of need. But these, these, these guys are sort of developmental. If they have any impact, it's in my opinion that their impact will be more on special teams, which is needed because Tyler Lockett should not be doing special teams anymore at this point in his career. And our best uh, special teams person was, was DJ Reed who we lost in free agency. And so there is a need for kick return, punt return. Hopefully one of these guys can help fill in for those positions and uh, be able to take that on. I would not expect to see either of these guys, on the field, I'd be surprised if they did, unless it was in sort of packaged. I think um, Derek Young, in particular, is more of a gadget kind of guy, uh, but that's okay. Uh, we've got we've got with the offense and as unique as inventive that this offense will need to be in order to be effective with um, no franchise quarterback behind it. I, I think I think it's a plus. So at this point. Whatever you take here is whatever you take. Wide receiver, I think, was a good position to go with. They doubled up on it. A good move. So I give that an A2. Overall, in my opinion, this was an A draft. Excellent job by the Seahawks. I give the whole draft an A-plus overall. The best draft I've seen from them, and a lot of people feel that way. Uh, the only The main controversy at this point was that the Seattle Seahawks chose not to select a quarterback. We went through every position and you did not hear quarterback. That's right. Uh, they did not take one. And so uh, when we come back, we'll listen to why I feel like that was the best decision for the Seattle Seahawks. Now it's time to talk about the quarterback position. And I know a lot of you guys are upset that the Seattle Seahawks did not choose a quarterback. A lot of you guys were excited about the prospect of Malik Willis or Desmond Ritter. And I understand that those quarterbacks do have some upside and they may turn out to be pretty good quarterbacks in this league. But it's in my opinion that the smart thing to do is to rebuild the roster first, to really build the foundations of the team and then get the quarterback for a lot of reasons. I believe in that principle in general. I think that's the best way. If you go back and you look at the teams that have successful quarterbacks now, the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allens, even Lamar Jackson, Jackson, those teams had successful and foundational pieces in place when they got those quarterbacks. The the Chiefs were already a, a fairly successful team when they got Patrick Mahomes. Same thing. With the Bills, they had foundational pieces in place. And sure, they gained more uh, as they got after they got the quarterback. You don't have to have the entire team in place, but things like a left tackle are very important before getting your quarterback. Just look at Joe Burrow. Even if the quarterback is good enough, like Joe Burrow, the team still needs to give them pieces, particularly on the offensive line. And that's what the Seahawks chose to emphasize. I'd be much more upset if this show, if this t- 
team had not improved their offensive line and didn't get a quarterback. To me, that would make no sense. You build the foundation for the offensive line first. For any quarterback that you get, they're going to need protection and and you are going to need pass protecting linemen in place. Joe Burrow, his first year, got hurt. He was talented, but he got hurt. Season-ending injury because the Bengals didn't put an offensive line before they got him. And I understand they they wanted to get other other they found other positions of value, but I think that was a mistake. And and his injury showed that he was able to get them in the second year to the to the Super Bowl. And they lost that Super Bowl, in my opinion, because they still didn't have an offensive line good enough around him. Zach Wilson is not showing he's not looking very good, not looking promising right now. But he also didn't have any real pieces around him on the offensive line or, to me, offensive weapons. And so to build the team first makes a lot of sense. Build build the foundational pieces, particularly the offensive line, before getting the quarterback. Now that they have two tackles, they have a center, they've got their guard situation already taken care of, now, next year, they're in better position in my mind to get a quarterback. So that's one. The second reason why I think it was the best decision not to get a quarter, quarterback this, this year is because the draft class just wasn't that strong. And that's not to say that none of these draft, that none of these quarterbacks will ever be franchise quarterbacks. You don't, you never know, right? But those quarterbacks were taken late in the draft for a reason. The media hyped them up much more than they were. If they were in any other draft, they would have gone in the fourth and fifth rounds like they did. They would have gone that late. That's just the reality. And while I know the media had these guys touted up, it was only because there weren't better quarterbacks available to, to hype up. And quarterbacks are what draw attention, particularly when you're talking about the draft. But they were just overhyped. Here's the reality. If, if, even if you believe in Desmond Ritter or Malik Willis, the reality is they weren't going to be ready to start year one. Not, not really. They just, they aren't. They, they're developmental type of quarterbacks. And you would have had them at the expense of your left tackle or right tackle, which I also don't think is wise. I just find it hard to believe that 30, 32 NFL teams would repeatedly make mistakes over and over and over again by not choosing these players. I think the general consensus from all NFL scouts, GMs, and front office executives is that this quarterback class just didn't have it. The first quarterback to go was Kenny Pickett, and he went with the 20th pick. That was the latest that a quarterback had ever been picked since 1997, 1997. I don't think that's coincidence. I think that says a lot more about how lackluster the class was than the intelligence level of the front front office executives of all 32 teams. In fact, if you don't believe me, right, if you don't believe that it's possible that this draft class of quarterbacks just doesn't end up being that promising. Like I said, 
one of them could, hey, pan out. But it just, I think five years from now, it'll be understandable. Looking back at the class 2013, that was the last time that only one quarterback was taken in the first round. That was the last time, 2013. Not exactly a strong quarterback class. Let me read you the names. E.J. Manuel, Geno Smith, who the Seahawks know well, but he is, up to this point, has been a journeyman backup for years. Mike Glennon, Matt Barkley, Ryan Nassib, Landry Jones, Wilson, Tyler Wilson, Brad Sorison, B.J. Daniels, any of these ring a bell? Yeah. Not playing, not franchise quarterbacks. And if you're going to if if you're going to draft someone, why draft somebody who you know isn't going to be able to change the franchise, especially when it's a quarterback? Taking a quote unquote flyer, if you just say, well, why not? Why not take it? Why not take the chance? Even if it doesn't work out, why not take the chance? Here's the deal. If you draft a quarterback, you have, especially in the first, particularly in the first round, but I'd really say even in the first three rounds, you have to give them time to develop before you can really go out and get another one. It had, you have to be able to justify taking the pick and giving them time to develop. So here's the thing. If you take a quarterback in the top three rounds, it's not so easy to just go and take another one especially if you drafted that that quarterback in the first round. It's not so easy to just take another one the very next year because you didn't give the last one the time to develop. And those two quarterbacks may be completely different. The quarterback that, that you pick in the next one may have a completely different style. So then there's a thing of who do you build the team around? Then you've got a two-headed quarterback competition and 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 yeah, sure it's going to be a quarterback competition anyway but you got two young guys neither of which are developed even if the other one is a more elite talent it adds dysfunction and it could potentially take away the career from a quarterback who who might have had they gone to another team been able to maybe develop into something more if that's not your guy if you don't have 100 certainty that that's your franchise guy Teams waste years waiting on quarterbacks who they hope is their guy to develop. Daniel Jones. And now, granted, they could have moved on from him. It was pretty obvious that he wasn't going to be their guy last year. But it just goes to show it wasn't for sure clearly obvious until year two or three. And considering that there will be right now, there's 17 quarterbacks in the top 100 prospects right now and things will change as the college football season evolves but there are 17 prospects right now that's a lot of options it's a lot of depth that's a lot of possibility still very early so you don't know how the draft class will look and there may be people quarterbacks that fall fall off and others that rise to the top but out of the way that's a deep class so to me, it makes much more sense. Sure, you say, why not? Because you hurt your ability to pop- properly rebuild your roster in the future. That's one less pr- premium position that you could have gotten the year before. 
right? Let's say you use a number nine pick to get Malik Willis or trade down and get Malik Willis. Okay, now you don't have a left tackle. Even if you got Malik Willis, Malik Willis's development will be completely stunted because it's going to get killed by Aaron Donald and company. That's just, this is how it works. Got to build the foundation first. That's how you see successful quarterbacks. And here's another thing to consider. If you're not convinced, let's say, no, I still think you could have taken a chance, could have taken a flyer on somebody. Here's something for you to think about. If you get that quarterback and you haven't built the offensive system, there's not consistency, it really completely throws the development of that quarterback. They then build bad habits, taking trying to take it upon themselves to win games. That's how quarterbacks learn bad habits. They've got to try to learn to play hero ball because they don't have the pieces in place. They feel all the pressure on them to sort of bring or save a franchise, and they don't learn how to play within themselves. They make more aggressive decisions than they would have normally made because they're trying to they're falling or crumbling under the pressure to to save this team that just doesn't have the pieces in place for it to succeed. It's trying to be the all-encompassing savior. They are trying to be the all-encompassing savior. And they're building bad habits along the way. And if that doesn't work, then maybe they get a new offensive coordinator. And then you end up in the situation, everybody talks about Drew Locke now and how he's at a disadvantage because he's had different offensive coordinators. Well, that's exactly what happens with that's exactly what happens if you get the quarterback too early. Get the quarterback who won't have a team around him to help him succeed. Everybody's concerned about the development or wondering about the development of Trevor Lawrence. Will he really be able to be all that he was touted to be? He was one of the best college draft prospects since Peyton Manning. And there are questions surrounding his development. Why? Because the team wasn't in place. When he came on board, there was a lot of dysfunction. Now he's got a new offensive coordinator, and he's one of the best prospects since Peyton Manning in college. And he's got questions because the Jaguars did not have a foundation built before they got the quote-unquote franchise quarterback. And now, and he's still year two, so it's early. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, I think, could easily be a franchise quarterback, but he, he would need the right environment, right? And I know. The head coach is consistent, and I know that John Snyder has been here for some time. And so the culture, to some extent, is that it's not the exact same as the dysfunction that was the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that. I understand that. But the concept remains that the players, the team, wasn't in place. And so he built some bad habits, threw a lot of interceptions. Why? Aggressive decisions, taking it upon himself trying to save the day, trying to get the team a win. And now all that's got to be undone so he can learn how to play within within himself, within himself, play his game at his own pace and grow from there. So the Seahawks avoided, in my mind, the distraction. They avoided the unnecessary. They know none of the guys in this class were the guys that they were looking for. They also know that next year there will be potential guys that they're looking for in this quarterback class. The guys that they may feel like is their franchise guy. 
And so they chose to take advantage of the opportunity to build their their team at premium positions. Left tackle is a premium position. Right tackle is sort of a, 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 not as premium, but it's, it's an important position. The one that was needed. Cornerback, premium position. You want a good, you want a strong quarterback, cornerback? You got to pay a lot of money. And edge rusher, premium positions. Guys, you had to pay a lot of money for if you were to try to trade for one. It, it costs a lot of capital. Those are premium positions in the NFL. Loading up on the premium position makes so much sense. The only premium position they didn't get was, was running back. And some could, and we've already talked about that a little bit, but just to reiterate, difference making running backs get, you know, they 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 can make a huge difference for your franchise. So they didn't get a premium position per se, but they got premium talent. The complaints about Kenneth Walker Jr. are not that he's not talented. It's where they got him. So you got premium talent. And that's worth a lot of money, too. So all in all, great draft. That's my take. A lot to look forward to. Sound roster. They filled a lot of holes. Still some holes to fill. And we'll see how these rookies end up stacking up. I think we don't know how these rookies will end up turning out in the end. That's really know how we'll truly be able to evaluate the draft class, like the class of 2012. But, but, I think this is a strong start. And given the circumstances of the team and the vision that they've shown that they have through the draft, I think that you can feel confident that this is the best, that they made the best decision that they can make given the circumstances that they have in front of them. And you can see the plan. They want to fill the holes that they have, get the team together, because they want that Pete Carroll said he's trying to win. And so they've, they've put themselves in a position at least from the rest of the roster standpoint, to try to do that. Next, on the Seahawks 360 podcast, a Seahawks Sports Ethos production, we'll be talking a lot more about the schedule. The schedule has officially been released, so we're going to go in depth. We just talked about Pete Carroll saying he wants to win. Let's see how probable that is. We'll evaluate all of that and more right here. Again, my name is Candace Hagens. You can find me on Twitter at Candace H901. That's Candace H901. Again, it is always a pleasure and a privilege to talk off with you. I'll see you guys next time. I'm out. And as always, go Hawks.